Welcome to another episode of the Binge Alert podcast, the show where I talk about things I love, things I hate, and everything in between when binging on anime, books, movies, and TV shows. If you're not familiar with the format, the show will be split into five categories, which are Binge's Opinion, Is the Book Better, Movie versus TV, Originals versus Remakes, and Roast the Characters. For today's episode, the category is Binge's Opinion, where I'll be watching the original Jurassic Park trilogy. I've been feeling nostalgic as of late, so I've been watching some of my favourite franchises and Jurassic Park is definitely one of my favourites to binge on. I can't actually remember the first time I watched it, but it's always been one of my go-tos when I just want to have a good movie marathon. I decided to just focus on the first three of the Jurassic Park movies rather than include the Jurassic World movies because obviously I think it would be a good idea to watch the reboot and its sequel just before the new installment comes out next year. Nope. The real reason is I couldn't find it on any streaming platforms that I have and I refuse to pay for a movie I know was on one of these platforms. Literally, I'm pretty sure I watched it last year on Netflix. Or was it Amazon? Either way, it's gone. And they always do that. So now I'm going to go watch the trilogies and I'll catch you in a sec. Five hours later. Nah, you know I'm passing out right there. At that point, if I see that, I'm just like, I'm dead anyway. So just take me. I'll just throw myself over. I realise that it's not quite right when I call this a franchise that I love to watch because honestly, there's only one of the movies that I enjoy watching over and over again while the other two, I enjoy ripping on them. But I guess that's the experience for me since I can't just watch one of them when I plan to watch any of the Jurassic Park movies. I need to watch them all, always. And it's always such a roller coaster for me. There are definitely some high highs and some questionable lows but overall i can say i'm here for the ride so rather than explain the whole plot of each movie i'm more so going to talk about the key highlights as it were of what i enjoyed and or get frustrated with in each of the three movies but before i continue i just want to give a quick spoiler alert i will be talking about some of the plot points so please don't be upset if you haven't watched it and i give too much away but you have been warned kicking off with the original jurassic park can we acknowledge that hammond basically duped alan and ellie into going to the park okay they were the only ones on the helicopter who didn't know what was on the island or why hammond even needed their opinion in the first place no one thought to say anything no one had any questions when they were on the way that would even have hinted at anything Come to think of it, I don't think they were even ever informed of the man that died in the beginning of the movie. So there's that. And it's crazy what people will do for money. They didn't even ask any questions regarding what they actually had to do to get the three extra years of funding. I mean, to be fair, with the way they love dinosaurs, if told, they probably still would have gone out of curiosity. And Hammond, bless his heart, was so optimistic. He was convinced that he would get everyone on his side. Did they not just lose a staff member from getting eaten by the attraction? Man even had the gall to tell the lawyer that in 48 hours, he'll be accepting his apology. Nope. In 48 hours, you'll be informing his family that he is dead. The lawyer doesn't even make it half a day. And then when they revealed the Brachiosaurus, all I kept thinking was, why didn't they just make the park full of herbivores? 
that it would have solved so many issues. We could have had a park full of grass-eating dinosaurs who are majestic and awesome and we could ride them and we wouldn't have to worry about getting eaten. Did we have to have man-eating beings? We already have enough of those in the world. Now, could there be some science that could have allowed a predator to become a herbivore? Most likely not. But this is a movie, okay? A movie about dinosaurs being brought back from extinction. So I'm pretty sure we could have accepted the science of a grass-eating T-Rex. It's called escapism for a reason, okay? I mean, it's easier to tame something that's trying to hurt you for protection than something that's trying to eat you. But then again, we wouldn't have this great movie. Then we have the hacker who decided he wanted to be a murderer that day. Money really makes you do crazy things, doesn't it? And I'm not even talking about the whole shutting down the system and stealing the embryos for another company, no. I'm talking about the fact that he drove himself to his death. That what was wrong with taking the normal route that everyone else took to get to the docks? Are you telling me that they have to drive through the park to get to the docks every day? Shouldn't there be like an alternative route or something if the park is closed? That doesn't even make sense. And I even looked up the map for Jurassic Park. I actually looked this up because I was so confused why he ended up in one of the carnival perimeters if he was on the road leading to the docks. And it turns out there was no other way. You have to drive through the park and take a right. Like on a normal day, it would have been fine as the system is up and no one would end up in a carnival munching on their flesh. But he switched off the system. Did he not think about this? Or better yet, he could have stolen the embryos, hid it somewhere, then taken them home or dropped them off at the docks the next day and they would have been none the wiser. As clearly, there was no one to man the embryos, you know, their most valuable assets, so they most likely didn't check the embryos daily, that's just my assumption. Thus, by the time they did check, he would have been long gone with his 150 million and would have been smart enough to erase the videotapes as evidence against him. And to think, he could have actually gotten away with it. Every other aspect of his plan was perfect, except the part that matters, the escaping part. And why did he have to turn off the carnival fences? Should that not be separate from all the other fences for, you know, obvious safety reasons? I mean, he didn't turn off the raptor fences, even he knew that was suicide, but the T-Rex fences was within the same system as the visitor's center. That makes sense to you. And quickly back to Hammond, you spared no expense on the luxuries of the park, but you couldn't throw a couple hundred thousand to your IT guy. Or even a couple couple hundred for a night security guard to protect your most valuable assets. Tasty ice cream was more important than the safety of your investment. And that makes sense to you. And then we have the kids. That little girl. I've never wanted a character to get eaten so bad. Until I watched Jurassic Park 2. We'll get to that later. But at the time, this little baby was feeling all of my rage. I needed her to go. She was priding herself in being such a smart girl, but she didn't think that flashing a large torch around was going to attract any attention to them in the car. Did she think the T-Rex was blind? It has bad eyesight, okay, yeah, I get that, but it still has the sense of sight. So you waving around the light like a disco ball is not helping your fear of getting left behind by the lawyer. 
And once you realize that the light was in fact attracting the T-Rex's attention, why did you then proceed in waving it upwards where the T-Rex was sniffing you out? It doesn't matter if you couldn't turn it off. It's the fact that if you knew you couldn't turn it off, wouldn't it have been a good idea to, oh, I don't know, maybe turn the torch facing down or stuff it under the seat? Something to smother out the light, anything. And I haven't even mentioned good old Dr. Henry. As the movies went on, I quickly started to realize he should have been the first one to get killed. It started off in this movie with the lab tour where he proceeded to talk to the group and inform them about the fact that all the species are female and that there are no unauthorized breeding. Man said with his whole chest that they ensure there is no unauthorized breeding. Only for Alan and the kids to find the hatched eggs. Like, did you not check at all? Like, they were pretty easy to find. And how is he a top genetics doctor and not even consider the dinosaurs getting the same traits as whatever gene they infused the dino DNA with. Like, does he not know the traits of the frogs that he used? Alan, a paleontologist, figured it out in like two seconds. Seriously, where did you get the frogs from? And how did you not think that maybe this particular frog, who can change its sex in a same-sex environment, wouldn't be such a good idea to use if we specifically only want female species for the part? And he's supposed to be the smart one. I'm putting my life in his hands and he needs to do his job better. And Ellie almost made it on my list of people I needed dead for stupidity when she was trying to get away from the raptors after turning on the system. How is she taking a quick break to cry about almost getting killed while still being in danger of almost getting killed? Keep running or limping in her case and don't look back. Don't even take a break to breathe. You can do that when you are safe. And that is never while you are still on that island, so... During the end of the movie, I began to suspect these little bebes were the ones that were always in constant peril. And Alan just kept getting caught in the crossfire, trying to save them. That was the case with the T-Rex, getting electrocuted. And then at the end where, for some reason, Alan left the kids all by themselves and the raptors came for them. But alas, they made it out with only three deaths total, plus the IT guy, but as far as they were concerned, he was on a boat back on the mainland and the T-Rex saved the day. Now, all they had to do was burn the island and all would be well. Except that wouldn't have mattered, would it? Because there was the existence of Site B. And that brings us to Jurassic Park 2. Now, I had to rewind this movie a few times as I kept playing games on my phone and not paying any attention to this. That's how much I do not like this sequel. This is probably my least favourite of the franchise by a landslide. But I watched it in full and it was painful. What was so painful about this movie, you may ask? Let's start with the plot. So you're telling me Hammond thought it would be okay to send a small group of researchers to an island full of dinosaurs where there are no fences to study them. And these people accepted. Then we have the scheming nephew who was just there to be someone to hate and succeeded at that job. I needed him dead. And then we have Ian Malcolm who is back, disgraced for being a whistleblower. Now, I understand why he did it. I would have done the same. However, you did sign a disclosure agreement. So I don't understand why he was upset at the nephew for discrediting him. 
What did he expect? He signed a legal document. He should have known this was the risk of being a whistleblower. How are you surprised? This is a normal reaction in any circumstance involving someone signing a disclosure agreement. Then we have the little girl. Her actions pretty much put her in the same place as the little girl in the first movie. As in, I needed her gone. How dare this little baby sneak into the trailer and end up on the island where now, not only does Ian have to run after his crazy girlfriend, but he also has to protect this little baby. And that's a huge oversight on Ian's part, by the way. Did he not call Karen the babysitter when they got to Costa Rica to make sure his baby was safe before he ventured into the island of death? Or better yet, drop the kid off to the babysitter himself? How did you expect her to get home? Does he not call his child? And of course, I can't forget one of my least favourite characters of the whole franchise, Dr. Sarah Harding. I wanted to like her, but everything she did rubbed me the wrong way. It started off with accepting to go on the island in the first place. Instead of heeding her boyfriend's warning of the death and gloom it brought on him when he almost died, she decides she wanted to experience it for herself because his stories made it sound exciting then proceeded to remind him that she's not scared and that she's been around predators for most of her life can she remind herself that because the stunts she was pulling on this island does not help her case for starters why are you trying to get all up and close and personal with a baby dino when its parents are right around the corner then why do you decide to agree to take a baby t-rex to the trailer while it is injured and calling for its parents the t-rex plural and to make matters worse you seal a many people's deaths by wearing the blood-stained jacket you had when you were trying to heal said baby t-rex which obviously would have attracted its parent but you're an expert in predators she even hung up the jacket nicely over her head in the tent she was sharing with the whole human baby, her boyfriend's child. And what annoyed me even more was that as soon as she was in the danger, only then did she clock that maybe I shouldn't have been walking around with T-Rex blood all over her. Maybe that wasn't such a good idea. Your girlfriend sucks. Take your little baby and run, Ian. This woman has made her choice and she clearly has chosen death. That's not on you, you warned her. Your baby still has her whole life ahead of her. So save her. And somehow, no one but her and Ian noticed the giant footsteps heading their way. No one noticed a 40 foot, 5 to 7,000 kilo beast tiptoeing its way to the tent. Are you all deep sleepers? Then something, I don't even remember what, but something wakes up one of the team members and he's screaming till his lungs burst. I would be the same. And that manages to wake everyone up. Not the 40 foot beast and everyone loses their ever-loving mind. Understandably so. While Ian is trying to tell everyone to stop moving, the entire camp runs in a single direction, screaming at the top of their lungs and basically creating a single line feast for the beast. I would not be the same. Best believe I am running in the opposite direction to the masses. I'll get away fast while the others are foolishly giving themselves up to the beast. They couldn't have at least scattered, do some zigzags here and there. You're just gonna run in a straight line in the same direction that the T-Rex is being attracted to. I mean, did anyone want to get off this island? And then we have the raptors who decided to make a special appearance because obviously this movie doesn't want the whole team surviving. And so the team runs into the tall grass because it is very smart for you to run into an area where you can barely see your surroundings while running away from danger and proceeded to get 
picked off one by one. Not the main characters, of course, as they need to get off this island for the grand finale. So they end up running in grass that is somehow not so high, thus being eluded from danger for the time being. Then after that, instead of just killing Ian, Sarah and baby girl like they did with the other people, the raptors decide to play a fun game of tag. To which we then proceed in having the scene of the movie making a mockery of the raptors intelligence that was heavily emphasised in the previous movie and turn them into bumbling henchmen who obviously can't do their job properly. I was lost. How many chances do you need raptors? There were multiple times where they were just hanging off bars and buildings. One quick jump in the air and you could have had your dinner. What are you doing? And then we have the baffling scene of the ship containing the T-Rex driving itself into the dock. Somehow a 40 foot T-Rex managed to get into every part of the ship, ate everyone on the ship, but couldn't get himself out of the cargo. How did the T-Rex fit its fat head into the control room without leaving the cargo that he was stuck in? He wasn't roaming free in the streets of San Diego until someone opened the hatch. And then I realised, logic jumped out the window a long time ago. So why am I still trying to hold on? I'm not even going to go into how the ship was still on this course because I'll just assume he ate everyone just before they got to the harbour. It is what it is. Then we have the T-Rex running amok in the streets of San Diego with multiple people either trying to drive away in a straight line or use their little legs to outrun a T-Rex in a straight line. Is this meant to be taken seriously? Because I have officially checked out. Fast forward to Hammond's nephew getting eaten and the T-Rex and its baby trapped in the cargo with the ship heading back to site B. First thing I thought was, who opened the hatch this time for the T-Rex and the baby? Is there another family that needs to be informed about a death? But alas, we come to the end of Jurassic Park 2 and I'm hoping everyone's learned their lesson and burned both islands to the ground. But then we wouldn't have the franchise we have today. Moving on to Jurassic Park 3. I have said this before and I will say it again. The crazy things people will do for money. Money brought us Jurassic Park 3. And I'm not even talking about the studio that produced the movie. I'm talking about the characters in the movie. We have the excursion people who decided to take little baby Eric and his uncle to Paracel next to an island they know is off limits for a reason. Then we have the mercenaries who thought this would be an easy paying gig as they prepared themselves to the fullest by testing their guns on a stationary plane, posing as a dinosaur. That is obviously not stationary. And then we have good old Alan who will risk his life once again to fund his dig. You would have thought the fear of being eaten would have reminded him the error of his illogical thinking. I was wondering why he thought it would be safe for him to go on this trip. Did he think that because the couple said they were going to be flying around that they were going to be safe? There is a thing called engine malfunction. Do you really want to take that risk? And once he found out they were about to land on the island, he panicked, rightly so, and got knocked out for it. So now he's been kidnapped. Kidnapped by a bunch of people who will most likely get him killed considering the wife Amanda did nothing but give away their position every chance she got, screaming at the top of her lungs for her little baby Eric and occasionally the husband Paul too, who by the way doesn't owe his ex-wife nothing. This is her fault entirely. Don't try and make her feel better, it's on her. She knew her friend was irresponsible, don't lie. You think I'm going to let my babies go on a holiday with a friend I know is wild and reckless and I'm not there? You have lost your ever-loving mind. 
I want this woman gone. She wouldn't stop shouting even after she had been told multiple times that it was a bad idea. And she even did it once with a megaphone on an island populated with dinosaurs, some of which are carnivores. You know you're the worst character ever when I am rooting for the raptors to end you. To be honest, it's usually a bad sign when you're rooting for the raptors to kill everyone except for the guy in the hat. And the only reason you want the guy in the hat to survive is because he was a great character in the first movie. That's not a good sign. At all. And for the record, Paul became an accomplice to the irresponsible parenthood journey when he didn't do his research about Alan. I mean, it was pretty obvious by now that everyone knew there were two islands. And yet, Paul decides to contact the one guy who has never set foot on the island that they need in question. Do your research before you kidnap your specialist is all I'm saying. If you're gonna hold someone hostage to save your child, make sure you get the right person is all I'm saying. And I'd also like to mention that I don't care about their relationship. Like, I really don't care. To be honest, I didn't care for the relationships between Ian and Sarah in the last one either. I don't understand why they decided to bring romance into the series. Like, the first movie did great without it. I mean, they hinted that Alan and Ellie were together, but they didn't shove it down our throats. We came to see people run from dinosaurs, not sit in a session of couples therapy for them to be reminiscing about what they did when they were still married. No one cares. Go save your baby. We then find out that the husband doesn't even have the means to pay Alan for his digs. So Alan didn't try to cash the check before he got on the plane? Are you serious? Then why are you here? What motivated you to get on this plane? Knowingly risk your life if it weren't for the money. It wasn't for your love of dinosaur as you clearly stated in the lecture room that no force on heaven or earth could get you back on that island. Except for the greens. So that was just plain stupidity on your part. That's a you problem for not checking the check was legit. And then we have the Spinosaurus who just keeps popping up whenever the characters need a good scare. Seriously, this thing keeps popping up everywhere. Starting at the plane crash site, playing peekaboo with the wife, then as the accidental saviour when fighting the T-Rex, then somehow sneaking up on Eric and Alan, and lastly, crashing the little boat while taking a quick dip in the pool. How is it so stealth? How is it sneaking up on people? If it wasn't for the phone it swallowed and somehow still worked, he could have eaten Eric and Alan, but instead waited for Eric to have his nice little heartwarming reunion with his parents after being lost for eight weeks. And then the river scene. Was it chilling in the river the whole time they were looking through his waist? Because there was no way these characters would not have noticed a dino that size enter the water. So it must have been underneath them when they reached the dino waist. At this point, I was thinking this dino had it out for the humans because the way it was coming for them constantly, I was like, what did these humans do to you? And then we have Billy over here screwing everyone over with his, I did it with the best intentions bull by stealing raptor eggs. Is he not supposed to be an expert in dinosaurs or something? How did he think he was going to get away with this? How did he think he could outrun raptors? Raptors who don't play about their babies. And I guess you decided to make them smart again, what with them clocking who took the eggs and the traps and whatnot. But anyway, they tried to redeem him by having him sacrifice himself to save Eric from getting eaten by the little Terrandon babies. And I was like, Nope. 
Billy is not redeemed in my eyes. He knew what he was doing. He just thought what it could mean for them if they got off the island, as opposed to what it would mean for them while they were still on the island. So no, he got what he deserved. But he is better than the people that built this place. That was a little harsh. But it all worked out in the end. The raptors cornered the group just as they were about to make it to the beach and they handed over the eggs. And the raptors just let them go? Why? You're telling me that now that they have the eggs, they're just going to let them go their merry way? Really? The same said raptors that were hunting a group in the first movie for kicks and the same said raptors that stalked a group in the tall tall grass for a snack. Nope. And once again, we come to the end of this nonsense of an entry to the Jurassic Park franchise with Ellie saving the day, somehow managing to convince the Navy SEAL to come rescue people that could have most likely have been dead. If she had such a hookup in the first place, why didn't Paul and Amanda kidnap her instead? But anyway, just when you think they couldn't possibly do more, they couldn't possibly be any more irresponsible, they create a new park on top of the old one and create a genetically modified beast. So, final verdict. If I was rating each movie separately, Jurassic Park 1 would be focus and appreciate hands down. Jurassic Park 2 would be background noise because that's what it actually became. And Jurassic Park 3 would most likely be leaning more towards background noise, but with some light entertainment aspects. I never really understood why 2 and 3 existed, as the first one was such a creative masterpiece on its own. However, it doesn't change the fact that I still prefer watching all three together. I just think that it's part of the experience to really appreciate a classic with some mediocre sequels. I will say though, while I didn't discuss it in this episode, I wholeheartedly enjoyed the reboot Jurassic World 1 when it first came out. So I can't wait to get into it in another episode. And I definitely can't wait to rip a new one into Fallen Kingdom because that one was just a hot mess. I'll probably do those in a few weeks or so, you know, when Fallen Kingdom magically reappears on one of these streaming platforms when I least expect it. They always do that. So overall, I'd give the original franchise a solid light entertainment with Jurassic Park 1 clearly doing all the heavy lifting. And that's all for today. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Let me know what you think of the Jurassic Park franchise if you watched it and let me know if you're going to watch it yourself. Also, if you have any requests or suggestions on anything you would like me to watch or read, please be sure to hit me up. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Binge Alert Pod. I'm out and I'll catch you in a sec.